walk away and just be blessed and be full and be encouraged. And yet you could come also to a Sunday like this once a year. And even if you heard the message this morning at sunrise service and come this morning and think, all right, we've heard this before. We know the story. You know, Jesus with his disciples, he did not hold back anything. In fact, he treated them and he called them friends, right? You remember that. He called them friends because friends are the ones who know, who are explained things. And that's exactly what Jesus would do. He would teach them things and then he would clarify. In other words, give them the, the, the interpretation or the explanation of the parables. He would do that with his friends. And with his disciples, he told them exactly what was going to happen. Now listen, you know me to speak plainly. I don't come with three points in a poem, right? That, that, that's not the way it happens. You know, we just go through the scripture and let it speak for itself and perhaps give it some clarity as we go to cross-references and we, and we give it context. And it's got to be done in a way that is understandable, right? You can understand the deep things of God. And yet, not believe. Thank you. It's, it's got to be. It's got to be a relationship first. For you to know salvation... And then desire a relationship. You see, Jesus spoke to his disciples. And he did not withhold from them the fact that he was going to Jerusalem. He was going to be persecuted, falsely accused. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be lifted up. He was going to be crucified but that he would be also raised from the dead. And yet they missed it. We're going to read that this morning. They missed it. How much have you missed? If you've missed that, you, you, you've missed out on salvation. It, from that comes a, a, when you surrender your life to Christ, when you acknowledge that, what happens is, you are happy. You are drawn to him by his kindness, by his grace that he's offering to you. You realize God has loved me that much. And all he asks of me is to believe on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's done it all. There's nothing that we can do to gain favor, gain salvation, or a place in heaven. Don't miss the important details of the gospel. Jesus has risen. It is well with my soul. That's the title of this morning's message. Jesus has risen. It is well with my soul. I know some of you have brought baggage here. I know that you've been burdened. I know that some of you perhaps are, are even filled with pride. 
And pride will keep you from an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Because pride never looks up, but looks down. Looks down upon people. Looks down upon things. Even perhaps what you hear from the pulpit at times. Listen, I'm just the messenger. That's all I am. And the Lord has dealt with me far more and well before he's going to minister to you this morning. Jesus has risen, and I pray that it is well with your soul. And so I'm going to repeat, he has risen. That, as I said this morning, and perhaps some of you that went to sunrise service will hear a very similar message this morning. But remember that the disciples, again, I remind you, heard the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. They still didn't get it. What have you missed? What did you miss even this morning? Because this is a, a traditional proclamation that Christians around the globe cry out with, on this very day, the people in Hawaii, they enjoyed sunrise service before us. Or no, after us, huh? I got it backwards. New York, East Coast. They did it before us, but you know, and, and then Hawaii will follow. And then others, right? But it's a traditional proclamation. It's a, it's a declaration, it's a crime that will continue until the day that Jesus shows up again. You know, he's going to touch down again. You know where? Yeah. On the Mount of Olives. On the Mount of Olives. Before that, the church will be snatched up. Be raptured. That's what the Bible tells us. But one day... We will, we will know Jesus as he touches down on the Mount of Olives. Until that day, we will proclaim this very fact that he has risen. There are many religions that have been around for thousands of years. You, you, you know of these religions. But only one has a founder who is both their God and Messiah, Savior, the Son of God. There is only one who provided... Undeniable proof of who he is by conquering death through the resurrection. Only one. If you think about Abraham, Moses. If you think about Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius. You know, all their tombs are occupied. When we were in Israel, we went to this location, the tomb, the, the, David's tomb. And it's interesting how they were there, the Jews. And they were there and they were praying and praying and praying and praying. You know, the Lord is with you wherever you go. You don't need to go to a specific place to pray. God is ever present. There's only one that intercedes on your behalf. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
No, these people, their tombs are occupied. There's only one faith that claims that its founder is alive. Having been victorious over the grave through the resurrection, no one has claimed to have seen Buddha after he died. And we know that tens of thousands of devout Muslims, even today annually, go and visit Muhammad's occupied grave in Medina every year. Yes, today we celebrate the irrefutable resurrection of Jesus Christ. You talk about documentation. There are about a thousand times more manuscripts that preserve the acts and teachings of Jesus Christ in the New Testament than there are of other classical ancient works of historical figures who lived in and about the same time. And yet we don't, we don't question the veracity of those stories. The, the closest is Homer, whose Iliad is supported with 1,800 manuscripts. 1,800. But that doesn't even come close to the number of ancient manuscripts that support the authenticity of the New Testament. Probably over 25,000. You see, the enemy is always going to try in some way, shape, or form to put some doubt into your heart. It's interesting how we, how we believe people. We believe much that's on the Internet, right? Why? And don't even take the time to work through due diligence and see if it's true or not. No, there's plenty of supporting documentation in regards to the veracity of the eyewitness accounts and the record that is found in the Bible. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was referred to 42 times in the New Testament. Jesus appeared at 10 separate times in 10 separate times to his disciples between his resurrection and ascension. Sometimes to individuals, sometimes to groups. And at one point, he appeared to over 500 at one time. And you know what? No one contested. No one disputed. No one cried out, hoax. No one said, that's not true. There's no one who testified in contradiction to what everyone knew in that day. No historical records, in fact, are found that contradict this. From that time, first-hand account. None. Zero. So the enemy, again, perhaps if you, you haven't thought about it this way, you need to realize, hey, listen, this is, these are accounts from people who were in the time of Christ and who were with him who witnessed his crucifixion, who witnessed his resurrection and gave a report of this and even were willing to give their lives for it. You see, if you take out the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no gospel. 
There is no good news. There is no hope. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 19 said, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Like, man, the world should feel sorry for us. We are pathetic. Why? Because we're believing a lie. It's not true. And if this is not true, then guess what? You're condemned still. You remain in your sin. Your destination is hell. But it is true. That's the good news. Jesus has been raised and he has ascended and is at the right hand of the Father. He is alive. Father, we ask your blessing upon this word that is spoken, Father, that as we read your word, that it would penetrate our hearts. Lord, that those who do not know you would come to the understanding and desire to surrender their lives to you. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. I pray for your church that as we have gathered together and we hear your word, that, Lord, it would strengthen our faith. That we would be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Having victory in him over sin and death. And so, Father, speak to us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are this Sunday morning, a special Sunday morning, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And according to all four Gospels on Sunday toward the dawn of the day, we know that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, came to the garden tomb. And you know they found it empty. As soon as they got the news, as soon as they saw the empty tomb, they were told on two different, from two different uh, uh, messengers to go and tell the disciples. And they did. News got out immediately. The disciples were told that the tomb was empty. As I say that, though, you may say, yeah, that's exactly what we're, what we're looking at this morning. But really, should they have been in Jerusalem at that time? Should Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, should they have been going with anointing spices to the tomb? Listen, when, when, we, when we take our eyes off the Lord... And we put them back on ourselves. What happens is we forget God's word. We, we forget. And we too are carrying things that we shouldn't be carrying. 
We're going to places we shouldn't go. Because we've forgotten what the word tells us. And we fail to trust in God alone. We'll see how it is that they shouldn't have been doing that. They shouldn't have been going to the tomb. The disciples should not have been in Jerusalem. Because Jesus had already told them what was going to happen. How many times have we forgotten, brothers and sisters, I'm guilty of it too. How many times have we forgotten what God's word says, what he has told us. And we just, we fail to trust him. We, tr- we fail to trust in him. Now, as expected, as we continue, there were a variety of responses. Some were amazed and others were astonished, bewildered, filled with doubt, disbelief. We know that others did ponder. They did remember what Jesus had told them, and they thought deeply. We know that Peter is described as having marveled. He was in awe. We know as we were reminded of on Friday that Jesus on that day had yielded his spirit at the cross. He had given his life. No one took it. He gave it. And then we know that the centurion that was witnessing, that was there with Jesus at the crucifixion, when he saw the manner in which he died, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. It's interesting, as we'll see here in Matthew, how it is that others are acknowledging the very word of God. They're seeing him for who he is. They're confessing. Why the disciples? And we know that there were some women that were at Jesus' crucifixion, and they remained with him. They remained with him at his crucifixion until Joseph of Arimathea came to take the body down as he had requested the body from Pilate, and he gave it to him to prepare his body for burial and to bring him to the tomb. The women were there, and they were there all the way to the tomb, and they stayed there. And watched as Jesus was placed into the tomb and the stone was rolled in front of the entrance. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57, it says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it on in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Now, for me, because I've been to what many believe is the very tomb that Jesus was put into, And we were just there a couple weeks ago, the garden tomb. Uh, it, it's, it's known that it belonged to a rich man because of the, where it was and what was um, uh, present there. And, and the way it's laid out, there's a hill that rises up before the tomb. So it is cut out of the rock. And then as you come out, you go up this hill 
And that's a very hill that anywhere on there, you had a great view. A place where Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, could have, could have sat down and observed the whole thing. Well, Joseph asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate gave it to him. Now Joseph and Nicodemus, as we know, prepared the body as best as they could, wrapped it in the linen shrouds, and placed Jesus' body in this tomb. And they rolled a great stone to block the entrance. It's a very heavy stone. This was all witnessed by Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. On Saturday, the next day, <clears throat> you know, for us as Christians, it's a quiet day. But it wasn't quiet in Jerusalem. Because on that day, the chief priests and Pharisees wanted to make sure no one stole Jesus' body. This is interesting what they acknowledged. And, and we're going to read it here. But they acknowledged, they understood, they knew what Jesus had said. They wanted to make sure that the body of Jesus was not moved by anyone. They wanted to make sure that Jesus' disciples didn't come in the middle of the night, steal the body, and then claim that Jesus had risen from the grave, just as he said. They acknowledged that. What did they have to fear? I, I mean, I... As, I, as I've contemplated this, as I've read through this many times, I've had the same questions. How is it that, you know, even if they did steal the body, you had to prove that he's alive in some way, shape, or form, right? You can't produce a corpse and say, well, he rose from the grave. Well, no, you pulled him out from the grave. That's what you did. thought about the fact that we know that the apostles, the disciples, many, not only died for their faith in that day, but even still today. But why would they in that day die for something that's a lie? I wouldn't. I'd be upset. I don't know about you, but I'd be upset. If what I was told was not true, and it wasn't proven, three days later, he didn't rise. He wasn't raised from the dead. He's still dead. He's not alive. I, I would be, in fact, one of those people that would expose it. No, you know what? That was false. Everything that he told us was not true because he did not prove and he was not faithful to follow through with what he promised, what he said. So that's my question. How is it that all these men would be willing to die for something that's a lie? There's no way. But this is what they wanted to make sure didn't happen. So the religious leaders went to Pilate and requested that the tomb not only be sealed, but that also a guard be posted of soldiers around the tomb 
to make sure that no one stole Jesus' body. And Pilate agreed and gave orders accordingly. Verse 62 is where we read that. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Remember, these were the same men that were stirring up the crowd. That when Jesus was offered by Pilate to be set free, instead of Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist, who was a murderer, he, instead they cried out for Barabbas. And they stirred up the crowd to, to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. When just on Sunday they were crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they're yelling, crucify him. These, these were the men that had stirred up the crowd to cry out, crucify him. But of course, we see that Pilate agreed and gave orders accordingly. And so it was as, as it had, was requested. Now, these same two women who had seen where Jesus had been late on Friday, we're back on Sunday to finish the embalming process on Jesus. But what they experienced, for them, it should not have been unexpected. It should not have been amazing to them. Yes, amazing. Yes, it was exciting. But at the same time, it shouldn't have been unexpected. And yet it was. You see, they came expecting to find Jesus' body. And instead... The earth started shaking. It says there that, that there was an earthquake. An angel came to roll away the stone and expose the empty tomb. They came and they, instead of finding Jesus' body, they, they found an angel sitting on the rock that had been used to secure Jesus' tomb. The women, they didn't see Jesus walk out of the grave because he was already out. He had risen. What an amazing moment to consider all these things. I mean, this is how we have it described in the word. God sending an angel to roll away the stone, sit on it. And he was there just for one reason, to expose the empty tomb. And then, remember, angels are messengers, and so they were there to do God's will, to simply communicate to these women, he's not here. Go and tell his disciples what he had told them. They would meet them in Galilee. He is not here. He is risen. That's the whole reason why this angel was there. 
Matthew 28, verse 1, gives us that account. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Well, it's interesting. So these women were not so afraid that they, that they fainted. They weren't. They were, um, they were afraid and they were filled with great joy, but they didn't faint. But you know who did? The Roman soldiers. The soldiers were so afraid of the appearance of the angel that they trembled and fainted. They shook in their armor. Imagine these are trained soldiers. These, these are not, you know, your average mall cop. These, these are trained. But they shook in their armor at the sight of this angel. They trembled and they fainted. Of course, there's no way that they wanted to go back and tell everyone, especially their, their commander. We were so afraid that, uh, you know, you, you should have seen this guy, right? I mean, he was just clothed in white, so, so pure that it was like lightning. And the earth shook. They're like, yeah, okay. And you what? You fainted? And you let all this happen? Well, that's what happened. This is the report that was brought back. But the angel was not there for them. They had no power over the angel. Just one angel. He was there to roll away these stone, this, roll away this stone so that these women could be shown an empty tomb. And so that they could go and report that Jesus had indeed risen, just as he said. Again, should they have been there? And the answer is no, they shouldn't have been there. But God is so, he's long-suffering with us. He's patient. You see, Jesus knew, he, he had already told his disciples, should have been good enough, right? You've already been told. How many times do I have to tell you? You know, as parents, you say that. I know you've said that. I know you have. How many times do I have to tell you? And yet, you know what we do? We say it one more time, don't we? One more time. Jesus is perfect in his love toward us. He was even willing to send an angel to roll away that stone, show the empty tomb. As the women came to the tomb, the angel was sent to speak this word to them. It is, as he said, go tell the disciples. He's going to meet with them in Galilee, just as he said. D.L. Moody said, quote, one angel was enough to roll away that stone, not to let him out, but to let you and I look in to see that the sepulcher was empty, to let the morning light into that sepulcher, to light it up that we might know that he had risen.
This is the account of what was just explained. Verse 4 of chapter 28 of Matthew says, And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead, like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And so these women were shown an empty tomb. And then they were told to go and tell Jesus' disciples that Jesus would meet them in Galilee. And they were filled with fear and great joy. You know, and, and I think about this, you know, this, this mixture of emotions, right? Fear and great joy, right? Fear will paralyze you. Uh, it, it, it puts you in, in a, a state of... Um, just uh, incredible personal heightened awareness. It's you're in a fight or flight type of a mode. But for them, they were in that place, but at the same time, they were filled with great joy. It's like, which one is it? Like, afraid or are you like, man, I can't believe this is going on. It's like, oh, but that, oh my goodness. Did you hear? Did you see? Did you feel? The tomb is empty. But oh, that's God. He is who he said he was. We we should we should have such a love and a reverence for God that as we read his word as he penetrates our own hearts, we should be in the same place. It should not be like this, okay, I'm just reading through his word. We, we, should, we should know that we are having fellowship with the living God. That he is speaking to us from his word. That's why I do not understand when people don't pick this up and have fellowship with God. Why would you not? Because you don't know him. Or else you would pick this up often. You would read. If you think that knowing God is, is, is filled with experiences and emotions, and it's not. It, it's not that. It's knowing him through his word, having fellowship with him, knowing his character and who he is, and yielding your life to God more and more and more. Now they were filled with this mix of emotion. But they did act. They didn't walk. They were told to go and tell the disciples. If they didn't believe. And here's another thing is. How we respond to God's word speaks volumes. Can you imagine if. If the two Marys were like, hmm, this is pretty interesting, isn't it? <laughs> interesting. This is kind of weird. Just kind of walk back. You'll never guess what happened to me. This is crazy. This guy was sitting on the stone and the guards fainted. But they were kind of flippant about it. That's not how they responded. 
They were filled with fear and great joy, but what did they do? They ran, didn't they? They ran. They acted immediately and they ran. We need to think about it this time. As they were running toward the disciples, we need to also think about this this fact. Jesus had told his disciples that he would be crucified and be raised from the grave three days later. He already told them. And it happened just as Jesus said and the prophets had foretold. These women, yes, indeed, they experienced feelings they've never felt before, they've never experienced before, fear and great joy. Because when you realize that God is faithful and he can be trusted, his word can be relied upon, and you see his word active just as he said, should feel, fill each and every one of us with great fear and great joy. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the, jo- the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Fear because he is God. We, we acknowledge that. We realize that. So it is God himself who is speaking to me, who gives me this word. And at the same time, great joy because we acknowledge and we realize he's, he's my God. He's my Savior. We see how it is that they were told to go and tell the disciples in verses 7 and 8. It says, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And so the women left at once. And while on their way, you see, they were obedient. They were obedient to the word that was given to them by the messenger of God to go do this. And as they were going to tell the disciples, it's there that Jesus himself met them. Not only were they shown the tomb where they saw Jesus' body being placed and a stone rolled in front of it, but now they see the risen Christ himself. These were the same women women who witnessed his crucifixion. They witnessed him breathe his last. They witnessed the Roman soldier take a spear and drive it into his side. It's these women who saw blood and water come out. They had no doubt that Jesus had died three days earlier. It's the same women who witnessed the burial of Jesus Christ being placed into the tomb by Joseph and Nicodemus. And now it's these women who see Jesus right in front of them. He is alive. And Jesus speaks to them. His word? Greetings. Greetings! So he said, can you imagine being confronted by Jesus? He had already told you all of these things. You knew all of his teachings. You knew that he was going to be crucified and raised on the third day. And he appears to you just like he said he would and simply says, greetings. Just to acknowledge, I am here. Now, what does that do to their 
fear and great joy. It has just now been amplified, right? They, they should have been, they should have fallen on their faces. And they did. They did at that time, that moment. They didn't speak a word. They fell and clung to him and worshiped him. No questions. Just worship. Some of you have probably heard, or maybe you've said it yourself. You know, when, when I when I come before the Lord, I've got so many questions to ask him. Especially, you know, when when he allows things to happen that uh, they don't have our approval. Right? We don't agree with them. We think, why? Right? You, you may have asked why. Why, why, why? Listen, we do not have all the answers. But we need, at some point, brothers and sisters, we need to get to a point to where we just surrender to him. Christianity is a faith of surrender. I, I'm done asking why. I'm not going to ask why. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's good. I don't doubt that whatsoever. Job, he did not curse God and die like his wife wanted him to. And you, you are a miserable man. You've lost everything. Why don't you just curse God and die? Nope, not willing to. Paul, even though he was told beforehand that he would suffer many things for the name. Can you imagine being told, talk about a way to come to your faith is this way. You're confronted by Jesus, told that you've been confronting Jesus this whole time, fighting against him. You cry out to him as Lord. And then he says, oh, by the way, you are going to suffer many things for my name. Oh, please sign me up, right? No. And yet, what do we do? We get so mad, so angry, so bitter. Because God allows certain things to happen in our lives. Listen, I believe we're going to be just like these women who were confronted by Jesus in that day. When we, when we are there with him in all of his glory, we're just going to fall on our faces. We're not going to have any questions. We're just going to be grateful that we're there in glory, having arrived. No questions when we come. Just an overwhelming awe that causes us to fall on our faces and worship him. Our desire will be to cling to him, in fact. Cling to him. Can you imagine Jesus, your Savior, your God? He has fulfilled his promise to you, and you just want to cling to him and never let him go. But why don't we have this now? We ought to be that way right now. Like the, the one relationship that we need to nurture and hold on to and draw close to and press into and trust in and glorify and magnify and lift up above all other names. We ought to do that now. Jesus told them to not fear and go do what the angel had told them to do. Tell the others and have them go to Galilee where he said he would meet with them. You know, he had told them this before. Remember, I, I told you we miss things. We miss things. We don't think about it. 
He had told them. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He had told them. Jesus met the women on the road as they acted on the word of God that they had received from the angel. And Jesus said he would meet his disciples in Galilee. They should have already been there, 80 miles north. They should have been running to Galilee after his crucifixion. They should have been running. Because it was according to what Jesus had told them, as we read in Matthew 26, verses 30 through 32. Verse 9 says, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Notice they weren't standing. (laughs) Grabbing hold of his feet. And they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Just as you are seeing me, they will see me. Jesus proved that he had conquered the grave by appearing to his disciples. As I said at the very beginning, he appeared to individuals, small groups, and then, of course, a larger group with which there was over 500 at one time. He did this over the course of the 40 days from the time of his resurrection to the time of his ascension. So we know the women did go and tell the disciples We know that there were mixed responses by the disciples. Perhaps you can relate to some of these responses to what they were told. Some believed without full understanding. Others received the news with gladness. Others, we know that Thomas received it with doubt. And yet when Jesus appeared to him and showed him his wounds, he was in awe. He called him Lord. Others were humbled, and still others were slow to believe. They went from slow to believe to burning hearts. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. In fact, in Luke 24, verses 25 through 27, it's, it's these, these, uh, the account of these two disciples that were met by Jesus after his resurrection. And it is written, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This was Jesus speaking to them. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Pointing to himself. If you think the Old Testament doesn't contain Christ, it's from Genesis 1-1 and all through Revelation. All the way through. As these two disciples were getting close to the village that they were going to, they they urged Jesus to stay with them. He did, and as they were eating, their eyes were opened, and they recognized who was before them. May our eyes be open to recognize who is before us, what he has spoken, and that he is faithful. He is trustworthy. Salvation is known in Christ alone, by grace alone. Through faith alone. 
Luke 24, 32 says, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us his scriptures? Can you imagine realizing it's Jesus, but their hearts were burning already. Do you get excited when you, when you see scripture, when you're studying, when, you, when you're just reading through and then God reveals something to you? What he does is he sheds light on it and gives you understanding and you think, isn't that exciting? <laughs> Y'all here? Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Get a little Pentecostal in there. Let's see. A little excited, a little charismatic. Their hearts burned within them. They thought that they were talking to someone who was the only one in the area that didn't know about what had taken place with Jesus. <laughs> they're talking to Christ himself. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one who, one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now the apostle Paul. Other than Christ, I, I, I look to Paul, I do, because he looked at himself, and he described himself as the chief of all sinners. He was a man who said, I have not yet attained. He said he had learned to be content. He was a man who knew that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knew that his only purpose for still li living, still having breath in his lungs was for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of the brethren. He was there to serve and to sacrifice and to give himself until the very last to the glory of God who had saved him. And he had this to say. It was true. It was all true. Let me ask you this. As we know Jesus has risen, is it well with your soul? Does your heart burn within you? When you realize that all that you've heard about Jesus Christ is true. It caused you to take a deep breath and just. I remember that peace that I first. That I first experienced. When I realized that. Through Jesus Christ. He took all my filthy sin. The very sin that had condemned me. To eternal hell. I realized that the depth of my depravity could not overcome the grace of God. That there is nothing that could separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And until this very moment, I need to be reminded of that. 
There's no doubt that he can't overcome. There's no sin that he can't overwhelm and he hasn't paid for in full for. Oh, what a love. Your heart should be burning within you. You should have fear and great joy, both at the same time. Because God desires that none should perish, but that everyone reach repentance. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Because the Bible says that none is righteous, no, not one. And this is not something just in the New Testament. This is true of the Old Testament. That's the whole reason for the sacrificial system that was laid out. It was pointing to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. The word says that if you confess with your mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I, I pray that for you, that today truly is Resurrection Sunday. That you have been resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. As your sins have been nailed to the cross, the shed blood of Christ has brought, brought justification for you by faith in him and that you surrender your life to him I tell you your life will not be perfect but it'll be right you'll have a purpose that you've never known before the Bible says that we'll be new creatures in Christ the old has passed away behold the new has come you will be filled with the Holy Spirit sealing you for the day of redemption and one day you will see him in all of his glory and you will know at that point in the fullness of knowledge that it was all true. Do you know that today? If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that you do. What do I do to know salvation? Confess your sins. You repent of your sins and believe on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Cry out to him. Confess him. Next Sunday, we're having baptisms here. The next step after salvation is baptism. Not that that saves you, but it's a step in obedience. Why? Because you're publicly declaring and you're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you do that. You don't have to think about anything. You don't have to pray about it. If you haven't done it, do it. Why? Because it's obedience to him. You see, Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. The next thing, be baptized. I don't care if you're in your jeans or t-shirt. <laughs> I've seen people, I've seen kids having the faith of a child just say, right now, I want to be baptized. And they've been baptized. As adults, we shouldn't hold back. We should have that faith of a child and, and just do it. Just do it. I pray that today be the day of salvation for you. For the church, I hope this was a great reminder and the stirring of your own heart. That it would burn within you. That a love for Jesus Christ would be rekindled if it 
was if that that perhaps that uh, that flame was was kind of dying a bit. Get excited about what's to come, what's been promised to you, please. Man, we ought to be a church on fire that that goes out and proclaims. Just as these two women were sent, remember that we are to do the work of an evangelist. We're to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that's what we've been commanded to do. May that be true of us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the love that you have demonstrated to us. And we, we hope, we desire, we pray that we demonstrate our love for you. Lord, for anyone here who has not surrendered their lives to you, Lord, Lord may today be the day of salvation. May they cry out, Lord, confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, believing that you have raised him from the dead, and today sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on behalf of us. I pray, Lord, that they would look to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He is the only one. I thank you for this time. Glory be to you. In Jesus' name, amen.